Hello, this is Reverend Erichikmeko. I'm glad to come to you through this medium. As you listen to the word of God today, I pray that you will be impacted, your life will be transformed, and you experience God. Kingdom blessings. Let's share a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of life. Let it be a calm where passions will be realigned and visions will be shaped. Let it be a calm where at the end of the day, your people will go back and transform their local assemblies. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start my presentation with a question. And my question is that, can every church grow? Can every church grow? And the second question is, will every church grow? So two questions. The first question is, can every church grow? And the second question is, will every church grow? So now I demand answers from you. The first question we are answering, can every church grow? Let me hear you loud and clear. The second question, will every church grow? Wow. That's interesting. So every church has the potentials of growth. But it is not every church that will manifest growth. We can then conclude that church growth is not automatic. It is as a result of deliberate things that are done. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God brought the increase. So God is the one who brings the increase. However, planting and watering are prerequisites for the increase. If there's no planting and there's no watering, even God will not bring increase. That is why what we are doing here is strategic because we are positioning ourselves for the Lord to bring an increase into our churches. And I see the Lord bringing increase. So this afternoon, I'm speaking on the subject, developing a church culture that promotes growth. Developing a church culture that promotes growth. In every church, there are three categories of people. The first category are those who watch things happening. The second category are those who wonder what is happening. And the third category are those who make things happen. This boot camp is for those who are making things happen. But if you are somebody who is an influencer in church growth in your local assembly, you need to appreciate the dynamics that culture plays. In growth. Church culture is defined as the atmosphere in which the church functions. It is the prevalent attitude. It is also the collage of the spoken and unspoken messages. Culture is the strongest force in any organization. Culture is the strongest force in any organization. It is stronger than the vision, it's stronger than the mission. Because both the vision and the mission is being driven by the culture of the place. So culture is extremely important. Church culture is critical to the growth, progress of a church and maintaining its relevance in the 21st century. I'm quoting Dr. Sam Chan. If culture is healthy in a church, the church becomes healthy. And any church that is healthy will grow. If you want your child to grow, keep your child healthy. As long as your child remains healthy, growth becomes automatic. 
So a healthy culture is paramount for us to see growth. Have you been to a place and you said to yourself that something is not right here? Have you also been to a place and you said to yourself that everything is being done professionally here? It is a reflection of the culture. As a matter of fact, your statement is a reflection of a culture that you just smelled. The early church has a culture. When you read Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through to 47, I read, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had things in common, and sold their possession and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continually, daily, with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Verse 47 is my emphasis. Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. But before God added to the church daily those who were being saved, he observed a culture. There was a culture of the early church, a culture of strong doctrine, a culture of fellowship, a culture of prayer, a culture of love, bonding, and care. And any church that will be able to duplicate these indicators in the church, that church becomes healthy and that church will grow. I see your church growing. I see your church becoming healthy. I see you breaking barriers. I see you doing something extraordinary. So creating a church culture must be deliberate. We must do that deliberately. So I am going to share with you four cardinal points that will feed into a culture that will promote growth in our assemblies. Four cardinal points that will feed into a culture that will automatically promote growth. I'll be speaking on four things. The first is protocol. The second is atmosphere. The third is posture. And the fourth is orientation. Protocol, atmosphere, posture, and orientation. Protocol is defined as the official procedure or system of rules governing affairs of state or diplomatic occasions. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 14 and 15, from the New King James Version, Apostle Paul said, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. So Apostle Paul is establishing a position here, and the position is that the church is the house of God. It is also the place of the living God, and it is also the grounds of truth. The church is the house of God, the pillar of the living God, and the ground of truth. And Paul is telling Timothy that, Timothy, the church is not like any other place. There is a certain protocol. There's a certain conduct. There's a certain way you need to conduct yourself. 
my desire is to come to visit you shortly. And the reason why I want to visit you shortly is to come and teach you the protocols of the church. However, I probably could be delayed. So in order not to restrict or risk the fact that an information might not get to you earlier than I anticipated, I am writing to you. That in case I am delayed in my visitation, you will still have the information. And the information is how you need to conduct yourself in the house of the Lord. Tell your neighbor, the house of the Lord. It's not your house. It's not your workplace. It is not your hometown. There's a way we must conduct ourselves in the house of the Lord. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 15 through to 23. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, This is a deserted place and the hour is already late. Send the multitudes away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, We have here only five loaves and two fish. He said, Bring them here to me. Then he commanded the multitude to sit on the grass. Somebody shout and say, he commanded the multitudes to sit on the grass. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke and gave the loaves to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the multitude. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of the fragments that remained. Now those who had eaten were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitude away. So two categories of people here, the multitude and the disciples. The protocols were different for the disciples and the multitude. The multitude, after they had eaten, were sent away. When the multitudes were hungry, Jesus told the disciples that feed them. When they, they, they provided the bread and the fish, Jesus commanded the multitude to sit down. After the crusade, Jesus told the multitude to go home, but the disciples, he sent them to a specific place. A specific place. Now verse 23. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. For now evening came, he was there alone. If you are a church worker, you are not a multitude, you are a disciple. If you are a church worker, you are not what? A multitude, you are a disciple. Disciples go to the other side. Multitudes go home. Disciples are constrained to go to the mountain. Multitudes are dismissed. Multitude come to experience miracles, but disciples create miracles. Multitudes are seeking for signs, but disciples are working signs. So I'm going to share with you a couple of things, and I'm going to work out it in a tabulation so that you know the difference between a multitude and a disciple. And I want to encourage you, if something is mentioned about a multitude and you are here, and you, you reflect or you, you mirror that thing, you need to repent here and now. This boot camp is a camp of transformation. We are not going back the same way we came. And anything that does not promote the kingdom of God, we are laying it at the feet of Jesus. 
the disciples or the church worker, they arrange the chairs. The multitude, they come to sit on a chair that is arranged. So if you're a church worker, you should come to church and ensure that you prepare the ground. Jesus told the disciples that get them food to eat. In essence, serve them. So the multitude come and they are served, but the disciples come with the orientation to serve. The disciple, they come first and leave last. The multitude, they come late and leave first. So if you're a church worker, you can't be late for church. I follow your pastor on social media a lot. And last Sunday, I realized that he has introduced a concept that is more or less, it precedes the first service. He calls it morning glory. And if you are a church worker in open heavens, you don't have to miss morning glory. As a matter of fact, if you miss it, you are late. Because as a church worker, you should be the first to attend service and to be the last to leave. Disciples, they complement the multitude, they complain. So it is okay for the multitude to complain, but you are a disciple. You don't have to complain. You have to be a solution provider, not a problem causer. The disciples pay tight, multitude gives offering. If you're a church worker and you don't pay tight, it is immoral. It is wrong for a church worker not to give tight. You have to tight. The multitude, they are concerned about the house of God. Sorry, the disciples. They are concerned about the house of God. The multitude don't care about the household of God. So they see the church as a restaurant. They come to receive the service and they go back. But you are the owner of the restaurant and you must be concerned about the house of God. The disciple will say, here am I, send me. The multitude will say, I am gone. If you don't follow me or come for me, you will not see me again. What it means is that if you are a church worker, you are not supposed to be followed up. You are not. You are too old and mature for that. The Bible says that, and David encouraged himself in the Lord. Yes, all of us need encouragement, but there's a place in God where you can encourage yourself. And as a church worker, you need to cultivate the habit of encouraging yourself in the Lord. The disciples, they come to give their lives, but the multitude come for bread and fish. The disciples, they say, when this work started, I was dead. The multitude, they say, I used to be in that church. If you're a church worker in your local assembly, you are a stakeholder. You are part of the vision. You should own the agenda of the church and the vision of the church. When other people are leaving, you are sold out. You don't have the right to leave. The disciple or the church worker, they come to serve, to give and offer their time and meet a need. But the disciples, they come to see what they can gain out of the church. So when the disciples come or a multitude come to your church, they, they, they are sniffing to know the, the welfare package. What will I be giving if my mother is dead? What will the church do for me if my father is dead? No, no, no. The disciple is not th thinking along those areas. The disciple will say, even per the constitution, I don't benefit because my parents are not alive. I don't benefit from any of the things. However, I am going to contribute because someone else will be in need. So for the disciples, when they enter into a space, they are thinking about how they can enrich the space. But for the multitude, they are thinking about how they can parasite and how strategic they could be with their parasite. So Paul was speaking to Timothy and said, Timothy, I desire to come to you, but when I am delayed, 
you've got to get this thing straight that there's a certain protocol. There's a certain behavior. There's a certain attitude that you need to put up in the house of the Lord. A church, and I'm using the analogy of a restaurant to explain the dynamics of the multitude and the church worker. So if you go to any restaurant, you will see the eating area. And you will also will see the kitchen. There are different protocols that goes on in the kitchen and the eating area. If you go to a kitchen of any restaurant, you should be mindful that whether the restaurant will be in business or not, much depends on what happens at the kitchen. We go to a restaurant because the food is good. Other things like ambience, the service of the people are equally important, but they are not as fundamental as the taste and the quality of the food. But for them to be able to get the food at a certain quality that will keep customers coming week over and day and out, day in and day out, it depends one on the quality of food and also the delivery of the service. So in a church, on a Sunday morning, a certain ministry is coming from the pulpit. However, that ministry had been prepared in the kitchen. Every one of us here works in the kitchen. And some of us front both in the kitchen and also at the eating area. But whether the eating area will will, will have a certain flow of traffic is dependent on what is happening here. Now when you come to the kitchen... The way we operate at the kitchen is different from the way we operate at the eating area. In the kitchen, you have to be strong. Tell your neighbor, I have to be strong. Strong means that you should be able to take instructions and criticisms. So if you are working in the kitchen, it's not a place we pamper. It's a place we give instructions and criticisms. So if you are a sound engineer, you are working at the kitchen. So at the end of service, if the sound is bad, I should be able to call you to my office and rebuke you and come and see you behind the console the next meeting. If you are an usher and you are not smiling, I should be able to rebuke you and see you standing at the same place you stood before you rebuked. Why? Because at the kitchen, you've got to be strong. You should be able to know how to take instructions and criticisms. At the kitchen, I don't have to come to you and say, brother, so, so, and so. You know that you've been in this church for a long time. When Open Heaven started, you were there. As a matter of fact, before, before Jesus, you were. Before Abraham, you were. You have been a faithful titer. You've been doing everything. You've been doing everything right. But today, I didn't like the sound. I pray that God will help you and give you grace. I know you are going through a lot of challenges and family issues and probably you lost your job a couple of... It's taking so much time. At the kitchen, we are time-bound. Lunch time is lunch time. You can't postpone lunch time. So I have to be able to say all that I want to say in one statement and say, be serious. Without reading your profile and your commitment and dedication to the church in the past. It is about today, not what you did yesterday. The second attribute that you should have as a church worker who operates from the kitchen is that you need to be attentive. Remember the carpenter's rule. You measure twice, but you cut once. Measure twice, but cut once. 
as a church worker, we don't need to repeat instructions. Everything that Pastor Eric is sharing with you at this boot camp, and I'm sharing, and the other speakers will come and share with you, don't let us repeat it again. You need to be attentive. Not only in what we say, but what we do as well. So if you are walking behind me to church, and I stoop down, and I pick a paper from the floor, I didn't say pick it, but I expect you to learn that next time when you are walking to church and there's a paper on the floor, you pick it. When you are in a church, anytime your pastor puts up a strained posture, do likewise. So as I'm preaching, if you see your pastor stands on his feet, you have to do so as well. If you see him kneeling down, you have to kneel down. Your posture should always be reflective of that of your pastor. If you say you can't do that in your spirit, you are proud. Because this man of God is an extension of Christ to open heavens. Christ would never come to that assembly and preach to you. But he's always going to preach through this man. So the first attitude at the kitchen is strength. The second attitude is attentiveness. The third attitude is faithfulness. Not only in terms of consistency and dedication and commitment, but also in terms of having faith in your set man of God. Having faith in God is automatic. It's, it's given. As a matter of fact, if you never had faith in God, probably you wouldn't have been at this camp. But beyond that, or in addition to that, you have to have faith in this man of God. The Bible says in Psalm 103, verse 7, that God showed his ways to Moses by his act to the children of Israel. There are two different things. The children of Israel saw the manifestation of God's glory and his miraculous act. However, Moses understood God's thoughts. So the way God deals with a certain man of God and the congregation are different. This man will know God's heart and the reason behind what God is doing, but you will see the act of God. That is why you need to be connected to your pastor and to his spirit. The fourth, you need to be firm. Firm. In the kitchen, we are working with a recipe. If you don't operate according to the proportion that the recipe committed, communicate, you will not get the requisite results. So you need to be firm and strict on protocols and rules. In every church, there are disgruntled people. They are everywhere. They'll make comment to undermine authority, comment to undermine vision, comment to undermine and kill enthusiasm. But you need to be firm. You don't have to be influenced. As a church worker, you have an agenda. The Bible says that for this purpose that Jesus Christ came, to give his life as a ransom for many. He was purpose-driven. He knew why he was here. So he wasn't listening to what people or man is saying. As a church worker, you need to be firm. You need to be committed to your vision and to your assignment. The faith. At the kitchen, loyalty is key. Loyalty to the fire. Loyalty to the ingredient. Loyalty to timing. Loyalty to supervisor is key. It's key. I always church my church workers that if you are a church worker, you have no right to visit someone else's church on a Sunday. It's immoral. It's immoral. The message is working. Tell your neighbor the word is working. It's working. 
Do you know why? The reason that you don't need to visit someone else's church on a Sunday is that on Sunday you are on duty. You are coming to deliver an assignment. Responsibility has been entrusted to your care. You don't need to disappoint leadership. So you can visit other people's churches moments when you are not having service. That's fine. So your sister got married in front and back ministry on a Saturday. Be there for your sister. But the Sunday morning, if you are not the preacher preaching, you'd have to be in church. You have to be in your local assembly. Unless you are the one preaching. And the last time I checked, your, your name wasn't on the preaching list. So you have to be at post. After church, quickly go and support them. If there's a lunch, there's a dinner, get involved. Why? Because you have already finished with your assignment. So five protocols that should happen in the kitchen. Strength. Attentive. And to be able to handle criticisms. You should be strong to receive criticisms and corrections. Two. You have to be attentive. No instruction should be given to you twice. Remember the carpenter's rule. Measure twice, cut once. The third, you need to be faithful. Not only in terms of dedication and commitment, but also to the set man. Remember that God shows his act to the children of Israel by his ways to Moses. You need to be loyal. And you also need to be firm. Now let's go to the, the, the protocol of the eating area. In the eating area, somebody who operates both in the eating area and in the kitchen will come and serve them. Because her ministry is a front row ministry. So on a Sunday morning, some of you will be seen by all means. Others will not be seen. It does not mean those who are being seen are more important than those who are not being seen. As I speak to you, can you see my heart? But it is the most important part of my body. So the fact that you are not being noticed does not mean you are not important. It's about you knowing your value. I always tell people that an undiscovered diamond is still a diamond. It is not your discovery that makes you who you are. The substance is within you. That is why if you are a young lady and you lost a boyfriend, you don't have to be depressed. Come to church and give a thanksgiving offering. You know why? If I gave this gentleman a gold watch and he placed this gold watch in a bin, it does not mean the watch is not valuable, but it's an expression of his ignorance. When he saw a gold, he couldn't identify it was gold. Somebody threw you away, don't worry. Don't worry. Leave them there. They don't even deserve you in the first place. God is going to open a bigger door. He's going to open a better door. Somebody shout and say, yes! So the protocol of the eating area. For these people, as long as they are satisfied, they will keep on coming. As a matter of fact, you don't even need to pray for them to come back. All you need to do is to satisfy them. But if you gave them a wrong food and you pray, the prayer wouldn't work. So the one who is serving is an extension of the kitchen. That person should be smartly dressed. Your dressing is your address. Two, that person should speak well. Her language or his language should be polite. 
three, and it's important, that person must smell well. Have you walked past a fragrance and you felt that the person will encounter you again? As a matter of fact, this gentleman can call for more food because of how the lady is smelling. He can call for more food because of how the lady spoke to him. He can call for more food because of how the lady is dressed. So one, she needs to dress well. Two, she needs to speak well. Three, she needs to smell well. And four, she needs to have the best of manners. Manners is key. You know, we hear the statement often and often that if you go to Rome, you do what? What the Romans do. The Romans, the church workers in every local assembly are the Romans. You create the culture of that local assembly. And whatever you do will be what the others who join you will do. So you need to dress well. That is why you are in uniform. And your pastor's taste is one of the highest in ICGC. He's a pastor of taste and class. So you should buy expensive perfumes that you use only on Sundays. Did you hear what somebody said? And they are sorry in my sorry to perfume now. So these are the protocols in the kitchen and the protocols in the eating area. If you are able to combine all these protocols very well, then the church will be effective. So the second thing I'm speaking on is the atmosphere. Atmosphere is defined. The pervading tone or mode of a place, situation, or creative work. I have been doing a study on Jesus. And I've been wondering how Jesus' ministry attracted crowds. And out of my study, I came out with three conclusions. And I will share that with you. I believe that if every church is able to implement that in their local assembly, will also be able to attract crowds. Matthew chapter 4, verse 25. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. Mark chapter 12, verse 37. Since David called him his Lord, how can he be his son? This sort of reasoning delighted the crowd, and they listened to him with great interest. It delighted the crowd and they listened to Jesus with great interest. What attracted large crowd to Jesus' ministry? Jesus did three things with the crowd. The first, he loved them. Jesus loved the crowd. Matthew chapter 9 verse 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion for them because they were wearied and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. The command to love is the most repeated command in the New Testament. It appears 55 times in the New Testament alone. The most overlooked key to growing a church is that we must love unbelievers the way Jesus did. Love draws people in like a powerful magnet. A lack of love drives them away. Long before the pastor preaches, the visitors are already deciding if they will come back again. It's because of the atmosphere of the love. Every one of us should be loving. When you study the ministry of Jesus, you can, you can see how important a touch, a look, and a smile is to church growth. 
When we come to church on a Sunday, we'll have to put smiles on our face. We understand that you have problems. Who doesn't? But you need to be deliberate about creating an atmosphere of love. Don't say, say, if you are 40 years and your face looks frowny, you are responsible for it. You are. Not your parents. You are responsible for your facial expression. Give your neighbor a smile. The ability to give your neighbor a smile when you were told to do that presupposes that you have the capacity to smile. So customer service shouldn't be a department. It should be an attitude. We should not leave greetings and welcoming to only meeters and greeters. I mean, of what use will I gain if I came to your church and I met 10 meters and greeters and each one of them smiled, but when I entered to the auditorium, bring your face from any other person. It undermines, it water downs, it erodes the first impression I got. So all of us needs to be lovely. Jesus smiled at people. He touched people. He encouraged them. He gave them an eye contact. Just look at people's faces. If you can't look at people's faces eyeball to eyeball, chances are that you are gossiping about them. When you are greeting people, look into their eyes and greet them. Smile at people. Touch. Also for one time, I came to church. And I, I just felt like putting my hand on a young lady's shoulder. And I just said, it is well. I mean... It just came by inspiration. I, I didn't hear anything. I didn't feel anything. But I just felt I needed to be nice. Two days ago, the lady called me and said, Pastor, I was due for operation the very day I came to church. I was troubled the Saturday because I was scared. When I spoke to the doctor, he said this operation has 50-50 chances. I was scared. But I prayed to God and said, God, if you are with me, give me a sign. I didn't know that I was a confirmation to prayer. You have no idea what your touch, your look, and your smiles will do to people. We have to be loving. I saw the project you did for the community. Giving shoes, clothing, giving a lot of things to people. It is a loving church. Look at the smiles. It is not every pastor that takes photographs with church members. So. You don't know, Ntia. So we should be loving. At our last administrative meeting, I was telling my, my team that I want us to implement a concept in Zoe Temple where once a quarter we'll have a Sunday of special act expression. So what it means is that on that Sunday, when you are coming to church, bring a gift, not a leftover, not something you don't need, but something that could be, be, be dear to your heart, but bring it and give it to somebody you are led. Can you imagine coming to church and every one of us, or almost every one of us, going home with a gift? And when you open the gift, it's a reflection of the prayers that you have been praying. The second thing Jesus did with the crowd is that he met their needs. Matthew chapter 15 verse 30. Then great multitudes came to him, having been with, having been with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they lay down before at the feet of Jesus and he healed them. Luke chapter 6, 17 and 18. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a, crowd, with a crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, from the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon, and came to hear him, and he healed them of all their diseases. So Jesus met the needs of people. It is not every need that you can meet, but make a commitment that at least once a month you will meet a need. 
Helen Keller said this, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I, can do, because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. I quote again, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but still I can do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do something that I can do. Sometimes we look at our capacity and because we are unable to do much or we think we can't do much, we don't do anything at all. But there's something that you can give. If you can't give anything in terms of substance, you can give a smile, you can give a touch, you can give a look. Give something to somebody when you come to church on a daily basis. Let's meet needs. Those of you who are in strategic places, if you see people who are committed and diligent with their work, give them opportunity to work in your company. Encourage, open doors for people. Some will disappoint you. It is, it's, it's normal with human nature. So don't say that because I gave an opportunity to somebody and the person abused it, I will not give opportunity to anybody again. That is not Christian. People will abuse it, yes. But in spite of that, good is good, not because people commented on good. But good is good because of its expression. The Bible said that we should not be weary in doing good. But in due season, if we don't give up, the Lord will reward us. I see your reward coming. I said, I see your reward coming. The third thing that Jesus did with crowds. Please, you can take your seat. Please help me appreciate them. Did you see order and discipline here? They finish with what they are supposed to do, but I've not told them to sit down. They are standing. If I had not mentioned they would stand there, I would go to Tema after the meeting, they would still be standing here. <laughs> Please help me appreciate them. The third thing that Jesus did with crowd is that he taught them in interesting and practical ways. Interesting and practical ways. The pastor is a master of that. So those of you who are privileged to teach small groups, Chapel meetings, covenant family, any group that you are teaching, your teaching should be interesting and it should be practical. In ICGC, we believe in practical Christianity, human dignity and excellence. So the teaching that comes from the pulpit on a Sunday should be relevant to you on a Monday morning. As a matter of fact, what we are teaching you here today and what will be taught tomorrow, if you apply it even in your workspaces, it will bring you elevation. It is not unique to church. It is universal to humanity. So I have spoken about the protocols. I've spoken about the atmosphere. Now let's go to the posture. Posture. It's defined as a particular approach or attitude. A particular approach or attitude. If I am a church worker, what should be my posture? What should be my posture? Luke chapter 9, verse 62. Jesus speaking here. He said, Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Jesus, this sounds harsh. Jesus is saying that as far as this kingdom business is concerned, it's a serious business. No one puts his hand on the plow. He didn't say turn back. Because standing back is different from looking back. If I am looking at this direction, if I'm facing this direction, when I turn my neck like this, I have turned back. 
It is only my neck that I turn. It gives an impression that I have not made up my mind to go back. I'm just being curious of my surroundings. But if I look back, chances are that I want to retrieve. Jesus said, anybody who holds the plow and looks back, not turn back, is not fit for the kingdom. So when you commit to a department and a ministry, your whole being must be committed to it. A decision made by the choristers is bounding on you. You were not at choir rehearsal. They decided to wear a particular uniform. You have to wear that particular uniform. Irrespective of how you feel about the color. And the design. John 9.4 I must work the works of him who sent me. Whilst it is day, night is coming when no one can work. Jesus is saying that this should be the posture of a church worker. That as long as it's day, you've got to do the work of the one who sent you. So your pastor is not the one who sent you. Your team leader is not the one who sent you. God is the one who sent you. And as long as it is day, you've got to do the work of the one who sent you. Why? Because night is coming where no man can work. Anytime I'm sick and I become unproductive, then I value the gift of health. So you are there, but there are a lot of things that you need to do, but you are unable to do it. Why? Because you are not well. So he says, night is coming when no man. And there's a moment in life where we enter into our night permanently. And at that point, you've lost opportunities and privileges. Because you have exhausted your time. I pray that as long as you have breath to breathe, commit to kingdom business and do it wholeheartedly. Give yourself wholeheartedly to his work. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through to 23. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 19 through to 23. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win them all. And to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law towards God, but under law towards Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. Now this I do for the gospel's sake that I may be a partaker of it with you. So this is Apostle Paul sharing his kingdom posture with the church in Corinth. And Paul mentioned four things. The first thing he spoke about is his freedom. Paul said, if I am a church worker, I committed to work in the church out of my own free evolution. I am free, but I decided to be part of this. So, you can't control me. You can't push me around. Let me do kingdom work according to my own terms because I am free. As a matter of fact, it's because I'm free, that is why I can decide not to tight. I can decide to come to church on a Sunday and not put a dime in the offering basket. Not because I don't have money, but I'm free. 
I can decide to come to church and when the pastor says go around or clap or say amen, I can decide not to say any of those things. Why? Because I'm free. So Paul agrees with you that if that is your orientation, he agrees that you are free. Human beings are free moral beings. But however, Paul said, in spite of my freedom, I have made myself a servant to all. So Paul is saying that I am free, but I have locked up my freedom and have decided that for the furtherance of the gospel, I am a slave. I'm sold out. I've given myself out. It is not about how I feel. It is my, my actions. It's not as a result of my feelings, but it is a product of my decisions. So you don't say, I don't feel like going to church, so I don't go to church. Who told you that Christianity is about feelings? When people were threatened to be boiled in oil, they didn't even denounce their faith. It's not about feelings. It is about convictions. So Paul said, though I am free from all men, I have made myself. And I like the way he says it. He didn't say, my pastor had made me. Paul is saying that that decision of commitment should be a personal covenant with God. That I have made myself a servant to all. And as a church worker, you're a servant. And don't feel bad about the word servant. Even Jesus said he was a servant. He didn't come to this world to be served, but he came to serve and to the extent that he gave his life as a ransom for many. So Paul spoke about his freedom. He spoke about his servanthood. And then he spoke about his goal. He said, I want to win. If I am leading intercession, I am not only showing my skills of prayer, but I am leading it with an orientation that I will win. If I am singing, it's not a showmanship, but I'm doing it with an orientation that at the end of the day, somebody will be committed and convicted and encounter God in the moment. If I am ushering, I am ushering to win. If I'm parking cars, I'm not doing blah, 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 blah. Hey, 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 hey. No, 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 no. So please, please. He's doing it to win. If I'm providing sound, I am doing it to win. Paul says that that is, that is his goal. He doesn't beat about the bush aimlessly. But whatever he does is purposeful. Even the date that your pastor committed this boot camp to is a strategic date. It's purposeful. You could tell that thinking has gone into it. The way you look, the way excited you are, it's reflective of thoughts. So Paul said, I'm free, but I've made myself a servant, and I want to win. And finally, he spoke about his motivation. So that the reason why I'm doing all of this is that I want to be a partaker of the gospel with you. May you be a partaker. May you not serve God for so many years and at the end of life, it will be said about you that you left your faith. It is not how long you have been in the kingdom that matters, but it is how well you finish. And I see you finishing well. I said, I see you finishing well. I said, I see you finishing well. Somebody shout and say, I cannot be stopped. I am sold out. I am committed. I have made myself a servant for all. As long as I live, I will serve in the house of God. If you agree with me, celebrate Jesus. Come on, celebrate Jesus. So we've spoken about the protocols. We've spoken about the atmosphere. We've spoken about the posture. And finally, we are going to do the orientation. What should be your mindset as a church worker? 
who desire growth. Orientation, a person's basic attitude, beliefs, or feelings in relation to a particular subject or issue. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. And whatever you do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So Paul was writing to the church in Colossia, and Paul was encouraging them to have a different orientation, that although they serve under men, or they serve under leaders, they should understand that as long as the kingdom space is concerned, ultimately you report to God. So when you are working, don't work with orientation that I'm working for Pastor Eric, but work with orientation that I am working for God. The advantage with that is that even if Pastor Eric does not commend you because you know that you are working for God, and you know that at the end of the day, God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Your reward is coming. I said your reward is coming. I, I just said, heard something in my spirit, that your reward is like a tomahawk missile. You know a tomahawk missile? It's a missile that has the target program in it. So other objects could be ahead or in front of the missile, but it doesn't really matter. It will meander and it will hit you. I prophesy to you that this afternoon, the glory of God shall come upon you. You will be rewarded. Your children will be joined in the kingdom. You will never grow poor. You will walk in good health. Divine presence shall be with you. Your life will never be the same again. Your tomorrow shall always be better than your today. You have entered into favor. If you believe it, give the Lord a shout. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor in the Lord will never be in vain. See, therefore, in essence, as a result of this, be immovable, be unshaken, be firm, be like a concrete, be determined, be focused, immovable, always, not when you're excited, not when you are motivated, not when you are encouraged, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. And he gave a reason why you need to put up that orientation. He said, knowing, in essence, for certainty, for, 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 for surety, that your labor in this Lord will never be in vain. I see God rewarding you. The Bible says that in the fullness of time, God gave us a son born of a woman under the law. I pray that within the next 21 days, may you encounter the fullness of your time. May something supernatural encounter you. May something divine encounter you. May something breaking encounter you. May it cause you to break through and break forth and enter into your space. Somebody shout and say, I receive it. Knowing that your labor in the Lord will never be in vain. Psalm 8 verse 1. O Lord our God, how excellent is your way in all the earth. So as part of your orientation, you should have an orientation of excellence. How excellent is the way of the Lord and his ways in all the earth. 
Daniel 6 verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself among the governors, the suburbs, because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king gave, thought to settle him over the whole realm. Excellent. Excellent. This year as International Central Gospel Church, our theme is for us to excel. Excellence is our watch word. Excellent is something which is of a superior quality. Excellence is expensive. It is not cheap. When I walked to the space during the coffee break, I asked my friend that, boss, so what's your budget for this retreat? He said, a little about 50,000. So, wow. Excellent is what? It's not cheap. It's expensive. But anytime you are doing something, And nothing is costing you money. And you commit to do it. It's indicative that the value that you have placed on that thing is higher than what you are spending. Am I making sense? So, if this lady gave me her phone, and she said this phone costs 500 cities, and I gave her 500 cities, what I'm telling her is that for me, this phone is more valuable to me than 500 cities. What she's also telling me is that 500 cities is more valuable to her than this phone. So for your pastor to spend 50,000 Ghana cities and bring you to this boot camp is telling you that you are more important to him. Your well-being, your development, your, 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 your cultivation is much more important to him than the money he's spending. That is excellence for you. So people see his church growing and they don't understand. They say, oh, oh, Ajigan on ICGC. You think Ajigan will grow church? You think ICGC by the name grows church? Then every ICGC church should be growing. It's not about it. It is the ministry that flows from the pulpit. It is the engine. It is the organization. It is the wisdom. It's the commitment and the dedication. Two, excellence is quality that always stands out. Excellence is quality that always stands out. In our world now, you should stand out of your competitors. If you don't, at the end of the day, you'll be one of them. But if you want to attract masses, you need to be outstanding. Excellence is quality that is always improving. You have to have a drive that will make yourself better anytime. Myself and my friend, we have been having a conversation this year. And our conversation hovers around sitting an average of a thousand people on a Sunday. And this is our prayer this year. So everything that we are doing this year is deliberate so that we can cross the mark. Now the question is that why are we doing that? As a matter of fact, the salary that I am on, if my congregation is 200, they can still pay me. And if I sit a thousand, it doesn't bring me an extra allowance. My administrator is here, he can speak to that. It doesn't. If people give more in the church, you wouldn't say, oh, pastor, this month the giving is more than the average. This month there have been a lot of breakthrough. A lot of women have given birth. There have been a lot of marriages. So we are giving you this extra. Ask him whether there have never been an extra. So the point I'm making is that I am not doing it for personal motivation, but we are doing it for passion for the kingdom. Yeah. 
excellence is quality that is always improving. So my commitment as a pastor is that my best year should always be my present. If you, I shall ever say that last year or last two years was better than this year, it means I am not improving. And so should you say that your present should always be better than your past. Do you know that this year all automobiles will come out with a 2020 edition and it will be better than the 2019. So may there be a 2020 edition of yourself. In the name of Jesus. Proverbs 22 verse 29. Do you see a man who excels in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before unknown men. Do you see a woman who excels in her work? She will stand before queens. She will not stand before unknown women. And this scripture, it's not a statement. It's a question. Have you seen the question mark? In essence, he's asking you, do you see a man who excels? So basically what he's saying that upon all your observation in your lifetime, have you seen any single individual who had excelled and never stood in the corridors of power? The conclusion, therefore, is that if you want to enter into the corridors of power, just concentrate on excellence. As long as you can excel, you can come to the corridors of power. I was chatting, my friend. I mean, when I saw the invitation for this bootcamp, I was telling him, Charlie, boss, you have put me among giants. And then he said, Kojo, when it comes to church worker training in ICGC, you stand out. I'm quoting his text. I'm not saying I stand out. I'm just quoting it. So my point is that it's because he perceived me as somebody who is an outstanding in this area. That is why it ends me this invitation. And there are so many doors, both locally and internationally, that he had opened for me. Because he has confidence and trust in my ministry that when I'm given the opportunity, I won't waste people's time. So one, excellent is observable. If you excel, you'll be seen you'll be seen. Whether your ministry is a frontline ministry or not, as long as you excel, you'll be seen. You'll be seen. Also, sometimes I get the impression that ministries which are not frontline, the people have a way of sometimes drawing attention to themselves. My sound engineer, sometimes when everything is perfect, I'm sorry, I'm fine, fine, then he realizes, ah, no, no, no. I have to do something for a pastor to know that this thing it is not happen by chance. You are master and I go, 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 Then you see, but you don't need that. When, when the sound is perfect, you are being observed. You are being observed. So you don't need to provide bad sound and then you come to the console and do one thing and walk around for people to know, say, yeah, I saw you see our sound engineer. As a matter of fact, if your ministry is not a frontline ministry and you are seen in the church, you are not excellent. One of the things I hate is when I am on the pulpit and somebody comes to me to give me an information. I think it undermines excellence. Because if everything has been well thought through and arranged, I wouldn't need anybody to come and give me an information whilst I'm on the, on, on the podium. And no pastor likes that. So we should make sure that we do all the works behind closed doors and then when we come to the public domain, we execute it without flaws. The second, excellence is not in a vacuum. It relates to what you do. 
Say, can you see a man who excels in his work, in his space, in his domain? So whichever area that you are operating in church, make sure you excel in that domain. We are taught by Pastor Eric that church workers, our job is a teamwork. So if you are excelling, I am, I am also excelling. At the end of the day, all of us feed into excellence. But when you become the weakest link, that is where the opponent will use us intruding. The third, excellence brings us out of the unknown. If you excel, it is just a matter of time. You will be known. You will be known. The coach might not like you. He might decide not to even play you. But let somebody who competes with you get injured. And you are given the opportunity. And you come and you score goals. Like Alonso is scoring goals for Chelsea. The next match he's playing. Why won't he play? You play. The blues. The blues. Proverbs chapter 16 verse 26. The appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. The appetite of laborers works for them. Their hunger drives them on. Proverbs 11 verse 1 says that a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. So you need hunger and you also need what? Appetite. Hunger is the desire to initiate, but appetite is the capacity to keep on going. So if the two of us are driving from Tema to um, Kumasi, I'm using a Highlander. He's using a Mercedes. My tank is full. His tank is one gallon. He can lead to a certain point, but probably beyond in Saom, he'll be parking. Why? Because his appetite was low, although his desire or hunger was high. So have hunger to initiate it, but in addition to the hunger, have appetite. That is why we are camping you here to build capacity. Because when your strength fails in the day of adversity, all it means is that you didn't gather enough strength. But in 2020, you will gather strength. I said we will gather strength. Say, my father, my father, this afternoon, I deplore divine strength, mantles, mantles, mantles of excellence shall fall upon me. If you believe it, give the Lord a shout of praise. So in conclusion, I'm going to share with you five ways that you can cultivate hunger and appetite. Because if hunger and appetite are crucial for you to excel, then you need to know how to cultivate hunger and appetite. The first way is by abiding with the Lord. It's by abiding with the Lord. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So Paul is saying that his ability to do is dependent on his premises, which is Christ. In essence, as long as he detached himself from Christ, he loses his ability to do. John 15, 4 through to 8, I read, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so that you will be called my disciple. Bear fruit, bear much fruit, fruit that abides. Jesus was using the vine tree as an analogy to teach how the disciples are supposed to be connected to him. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. If you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. But when you disconnect yourself from the source, at the end of the day, you have compromised the source of your power. You will wither and you'll be thrown away and you'll be burned. But when you stay connected, the Bible says that those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the court of our God and they shall even bear fruit in their old age. The older you grow, the wiser you become. The older you grow, the richer you become. The older you grow, the better your life will be. You will never call the old days good. Why? Because your present will always be better than your old days. The Bible says that when Rebekah was brought to Isaac, Isaac forgot about the sorrows of the death of his mother. There's a certain realm that when you enter into it, every pain of yours vanishes. I pray that the Lord will bless you. I pray that the Lord will keep you. He will make his word abide in you. The second way to cultivate hunger and appetite is by following a model. It's by following a model. In whatever industry you are operating, there are people who are ahead of you. Myself and Pastor Eric, we copy. We copy from each other and we copy from elsewhere. I remember one time he called me and said, Kojo, there's this church in Abuja that I've been following online called Koza. I really want us to go and visit that place. Let's book. Let's, let's give our pulpit to somebody one Sunday. Let's leave on Friday. Go spend time with the pastor and be in their service and observe and make notes and come and implement. Because church growth is scientific. It's not by chance. Interestingly, just three weeks after we were there and Mrs. Otabel called us. He said, Dr. Otabel is going to Koza to preach. I want you to be part of his entourage. <laughs> Probably because our hearts was connected to that church spiritually and it was able to attract corridors of power and their influence. And we had an opportunity to see. Anytime I travel out and I see something, the next Sunday, we are doing it in church. When he mentioned POS, I told him, Master, write it down. Next Sunday, we are starting POS in Zoe Temple. We copy. If I don't know how to drive and you know how to drive and I copy you, haven't I learned how to drive? Am I not better off than I met you? Tell your neighbor, copy. There's nothing wrong. You know, you know the reason why the reason why some of you are very uncomfortable with the word copying is that when we're in school, say, copycat, copycat. <laughs> that one is different. That one is different. This one. We are copying. 
I mean, asked him when we came here. We looked at this facility. He said, ICGC should have something like this. And we have plans of going to speak to Pastor Morris and Dr. Otago to see how best we can start a vision like this. It is all about copying. And our uniqueness is that when we copy you, we will be better than what we saw. Luke chapter 1 verse 29. So when you see it, you might not even see that it's a copy. But when they saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? Verse 35. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born, will be called the Son of God. And indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age, and this is now the sixth man for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Let that be your mantra this year. That any impossibility in your life, let the presence of the Lord turn things around. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Very interesting story. So this angel by name Gabriel visited Mary and said, Mary, you are highly favored. Blessed are you among all women. Blah, blah, blah. You're going to give birth to the Messiah and the kingdom of his government shall be upon his shoulders. You'll be the prince of peace, mighty one, everlasting father, and all of that. But Mary was disturbed. He said, I'm a virgin. I've never met a man. How, shall, how can this be? And then the angel gave Mary two answers. The first answer, which is an answer to anything that you consider to be an impossibility, is that one, you need the Holy Spirit to overshadow you. So he said, the Holy Spirit will, be, will overshadow you and the power of the Mosai shall be upon you. And then the second thing he said, your cousin Elizabeth, who was also considered barren, who was considered in being a certain category that her case was impossible, has been visited by God. And he's now six months pregnant. In essence, he's a veteran in pregnancy. So go to her and learn the rudiment of the first trimester and the second trimester because he knows something better than you do. Well, watch me, church. In life, all that you know is all that you have learned. But it is not all that you have learned that there is to know. That is why we copy. You miss a good place to clap. You miss a good place to clap. So Mary went to Elizabeth. And the Bible said that when the two women met, the baby within her leaped. Why? Because destinies had been realigned. Anytime I see my colleagues, there's something within us that connects. It lips. Why? Because we are doing something that the world considers impossible, but the strength of the Lord is making us see progress. You will make progress. I said you will make progress. The devil can't stop you. He can't prevent you. He can't do anything about it. It is your time. Somebody shout and say, it is my time. I will excel. I will be observable. I will excel in my work. I will be lifted up in the name of Jesus. 
Take your seat. So look for your Elizabeth. Look for people that you are connected to, like your pastor tells you. I listen to Dr. Tabel every day. I copy him. If you listen to me to you listen to me preaching, you know that this guy has been listening to Dr. Tabel. Now me me to me all that Otabel has been able to do in my life, Charlie, is, is serious fulfillment. When you copy your originality, we love me originality in Grand Papa. And yeah, Papa, do you get my point? And yeah, Papa, now me who will be originality now, Papa. Won't I copy? I will copy. Mediocre pastors say, oh, it is not about numbers. It's not about numbers. Who told you? The book of numbers is even in the Bible. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. People gravitate around things that people gravitate around. <laughs> my, my brother-in-law is a doctor. You know him, Dr. Frank. I was having a chat with, he's now professor, Professor Frank Edwin. And Pastor Frank, Frank Edwin was telling me that the amount of energy that is derived from a one-liter bottle of malt is equal to the amount of energy that is derived from one liter of bottle of leucoside. However, when people want energy, they drink leucoside because people drink leucoside. Somebody didn't get that. Because the traffic of pursuit of energy is towards leucoside, that is why everybody is going to that direction. That is why in Open Heavens, as part of the pictures that you post on social media, you add your parking. You are not showing off. You are telling people that cars are here. If you have a car, come here. In my village, in my village, do you know what they used to judge whether a funeral was well patronized or not? Say, Ian, a soil, say, I say, cast, 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 the third thing is by exposure. Say by exposure. Genesis 15, 2 to 5. But Abraham said, Lord God, what did you give me? Seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Then Abraham, then Abraham said, Lord, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now towards heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. One of the ways to build hunger and capacity is by exposure. Get yourself exposed. Get yourself exposed. I think about four years ago, myself and Pastor Eric and a few other pastors were part of Dr. Otabel's entourage. And we went to Papa Adeboye's camp the number of pastors who were seated just on the stage were more than 5,000. In Papa Adeboye's church, when you get born again, we don't usher you to the front. Buses pass you. Because the distance is like a free hire kotutu. I'm telling you. Huge. Also, for six years ago, I went to Singapore and I went to Joseph Prince Church. 
um, his church was supposed to start at 7.30. So we went there at 7 because I wanted to go and get a front stage. So my orientee said, oh, I'll go and so I'm a pastor from Africa. I've traveled f- for so many miles. So please, can I sit in front so that I can connect with Joseph Prince? When we got there, the church is supposed to start at 7.30. We got there 7.12. They sent us to the gallery. And they told us that the ground floor is filled. When we sat at the gallery and we looked down, there was not a single person seated. But they told us that in that church, they book online. I saw for five minutes to time, the whole place was full. So, wow, this is church. I was with my wife. She said, sweetheart, we are running Covenant family. Let's humble ourselves. I told her, I'm serious. I told her, Justin, we are running Covenant family. Let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves. We are running Covenant family. We are running Covenant family. I was humbled. Everything precision. After service, they took us to a place. They serve us tea. They serve us sandwich. They say, hey, I was eating and I was thinking. I was thinking budget. I was thinking budget. Charlie, exposure. So don't stay in your small corner. Dakan will tell you, say, one kobe Masa, people are doing great things. So. And finally, fourth, running out of time. Fourth, by keeping company with people of bigger capacity. Keeping company of people of bigger capacity. In Luke chapter 5, verse 18 and 20, it talks about this guy who was crippled and he had four friends who were full of faith. They heard that Jesus was having a crusade somewhere. They went to carry their friend. They got to the entrance. The place was full. But they climbed up and they dropped him. What did this guy do to merit this kind of a miracle? It's because he associated himself with people who have faith. Associate yourself with strategic people. Friendship is not accidental. It's by choice. And if your friends are not impacting your life, change your friends. Watch this. There's a law called the law of association. And Pastor quoted it. You become, with, you become whom you spend time with the most. You become that. Finally, by widening your vision. By widening your vision. First Chronicles chapter 4 verse 10. And Jabez called unto the God of Israel saying, Oh that you bless me indeed and enlarge my territory. That your hand will be with me. And that you, may, you will keep me from evil that I may not cause pain. So God granted him what he requested. He widened his coast. You have to widen your vision. When you see something and it's better than what you are doing, let it influence you. Don't say, so, uh, that's how some pastors say, hey, is every church in open heavens having, are you has been able to build what you are building? You think it's about the location? No. It's not about it. So when you see something, write in your vision. Ask questions. Because church growth is scientific. If you're able to ask questions, it would impact your life. I came to share some lessons with you. I spoke about posture. And a posture, I spoke about attitude that we should have as church workers. The first is that we should be strong. We should have strength. We should be able to receive corrections. And we should be able to receive criticisms. 
We should be attentive. We should be loyal. We should be firm. And we should be faithful. We should speak well. We should dress well. We should look well. We should smell well. And we should have good etiquette. And the atmosphere, I spoke about three things that Jesus did that attracted crowd for him. One, he loved the crowd. Two, he met their need. And three, he was able to preach in practical and interesting ways. And then I spoke about posture. And I used Paul as a case study. Paul says, that though I am free from all men, I've made myself a servant that I might win and that I'll be a partaker of the kingdom. So he spoke about his freedom. He spoke about his servanthood. He spoke about his goal. And he spoke about his motivation. And then I ended on the orientation. Have an orientation that you are sold out. Don't turn back. Don't look back. Hold on to the plow. Be unshaken. Be immovable. Because your labor in the Lord will never be in vain. I spoke about excellence. I spoke about hunger and appetite as the two ingredients. That the false balance is an abomination. So have the two and strive. If you are excellent, you'll be observed. If you are excellent, you'll rise to the top. If you are excellent, you'll be unique. If you are excellent, you will be promoted. And I finally ended with five ways that you can cultivate attitude for hunger and appetite. The first is for you to be able to abide in the word. The second is to follow a model. The third is to have exposure. The, 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 the fourth is to widen your vision. And the fifth is what? Associate with people who have a bigger capacity. Let me say this finally. My name is Kajam Wasari, a friend of Pastor Eric Heimeku, and I endorse this word.